From McKinsey's business building practice, Leap, I'm Andrew Roth, and welcome to The Venture, a series featuring conversations with legendary venture builders in Asia about how to design, launch, and scale new businesses. In each episode, we cut through the noise to bring practical advice on how leaders can build successful businesses from scratch. Welcome to another episode of The Venture. For our first episode of 2022, I'm excited to share a conversation with Hugh Yao, CEO and founder of Lingoace, a Singapore-based online language learning service aimed at children. Hugh founded the company in 2017, and after a couple of years of deliberately glacial growth, the business exploded during the pandemic, growing from 4,000% and attracting students in more than 100 countries. You'll hear Hugh tell us about the genesis of Lingoace, why he kept his foot on the brake for so long, and how the company's dealing with its rapid global expansion. There's lots to cover. Welcome, Hugh. Great to have you on the show. Yeah, Andrew, thanks for having me. And actually, it's our pleasure to share our story. I'm excited to talk about LingoAce because it's slightly different topics than our our past shows. We're going to talk about the space you're in around education. And uh, congrats, by the way, it was announced about a week ago that you raised $160 million on your latest round. So that's encouraging and impressive to see uh, for Singapore and for, for any kind of startup. So congrats on that. Yeah, thanks very much. Actually, it's a key milestone for us, but actually it's also an encouragement for the entire team. And in Singapore, U.S., China, Malaysia, and Thailand, Indonesia, so that we can keep going. You have an interesting story on how you started LingoAce. I mean, you, you have had an, a career at places like Oracle, and then you've stepped into education. Share with us a little bit about what inspired that. So before I talk about the story, I can give a very, very high-level introduction to the audience, what do we do, so that you have very basic idea about the business. We are a Singapore-based company, actually, and we provide online language learning. Right now, we focus on Mandarin, and also we are entering English and teaching services recently as well. So the company itself, it was founded in 2017, and basically we hire the native-speaking teachers from China. We deliver the services to customers like, you know, 3 to 15 years old. Actually, they are from more than 100 countries globally, and during the pandemic, Actually, the business grows very, very quickly. So comparing to the end of 2019, so we grow about 4,000% in the past two years. And as Andrew mentioned, actually, I was an educator. (laughs) I worked for Oracle, IBM, Salesforce for more than 10 years. But actually, uh, I moved my family from China to Singapore about 10 years ago. So basically, and my son was just three years old. He can barely speak English or Mandarin, right? Everybody knows that. But basically, and a three years old kids and started to learn English very quickly, and English becomes his preferred language. So as Chinese heritage, definitely, and we would like to maintain this kind of the language ability for him, and also it's a great for his future, right? Not only about career, but also about their, you know, his personal life. So that's why I really think about it's very important for him. But actually, and when I go out, I don't really find a very well-known brand at all. So that's why I realized actually it's an opportunity to build something for him. And also it's also an opportunity to build something for the family, you know, many, many families like our family. So no matter they are Chinese heritage or non-Chinese heritage, so they, are in, they stay in Asia-Pac, they would like to have their kids and be ready for the future. So that's why actually we think about, and from day one, we are very clear, we need to build a very high quality services. 
and also need, it needs to be a global brand because and I I think the experience for myself work in Oracle, IBM, Salesforce are really helpful because and uh, very deep in my mind I think in a global brand you know matters so that's why actually we started our journey you know and in 2017 actually I was an educator a very bold decision and to enter the space one of the themes that we often hear from corporate entrepreneurs is they will ask themselves, well, what's our right to play in a space? You know, and when they look at starting any kind of new venture. And for yourself, I would imagine you've had some moments where you asked yourself that. Take us to the point where you knew you were going to take that leap. Was there a moment or story that gave you that, that confidence to make the switch? I work with MNC for many years. Actually, I've been trained and with logic, right? So basically, and we, we had a lot of the analysis actually about and you know my capability to manage supply and also my ability to hire a team to build a marketing function all these kind of the analysis but i think it's very important beyond those kind of the analysis very logical analysis we still need faith of league right do i feel this is actually a demand in the market do i provide long term value to the customers so that's most important and to encourage myself to make the big jump is really about the calling instead of the very logical analysis. Those are formative times where you uh, kind of cut the cord from corporate life into full, full entrepreneur. And I would imagine you knew you had some kind of sense of product market fit or traction when it comes to the value proposition, because for the audience in Singapore, there, there are, there's no lack of Mandarin tutoring. In, in fact, it's sort of uh, almost a standard. Many, many students will learn Mandarin at their school during the day, and then they'll get extra tutoring in the evening. Where did, it, you, where did you see a pocket or a gap in the market between the traditional sort of student and, and tutor and what you've created at Lingoes? So from day one, my vision is bigger than Singapore itself, right? So that's why actually, and uh, when I analyzed the market, I realized actually and the whole market is very fragmented. You know, in terms of the service, yes, there are quite a lot of services, but there's no leading brand. Our ambition is really to build a global brand. That's one thing. Another one, actually, we find a very, very, actually, a niche area to start. So I just choose international school market, which is a very niche player, a niche market in Singapore itself. But if we put that in a broader you know, interview, like, you know, if we count U.S., Australia and other countries. So it's not niche market at, at all. So that's why actually and we, we chose a different approach other than the normal Singapore-based company. And uh, we serve the customers who are from international school. So their needs are not being and fulfilled very well. So that's why we focus on one segment to understand what they need and also to build a very good and, and the customer experience. This is very critical. So the second is, is really about for me, I think it's replicable and this solution because we understand many kids in US, in Australia, and in, in UK, they're very similar to the students in international school, right, in Singapore. So the third one, I think in Singapore is a perfect location to try a lot of the new ideas because unlike other countries, Singapore is a very, very diversified community. So in, in Singapore, we can really engage first-generation Chinese immigration or the overseas Chinese like Singaporean and, and also like, you know, and the Aussie and uh, American. So basically, we can engage 
different segments and also very easily. It's safe and accessible. So that's why after we test the market here, definitely we can bring the service to Australia, to U.S. very quickly. So that's why when 2019, uh, when we expand to U.S., to Australia, it's very, very easy. The growth has been impressive. I would imagine Lingo Ace has a different approach, a different curriculum, a methodology for teaching. When, when and how did you start to, to realize that your approach, as compared to the traditional, perhaps, tutoring approach, was getting better results? I think just from day one, we are very confident about that because and very important, as I share, I built this and platform for my son and also for the families like our family. So that's why actually and my son is the first customer. So I can really observe and what works, what doesn't work. When I design a product, when I design a process, when I design the customer services, so actually my, my wife and myself and my son are the first customer. So that's why actually we have the first-hand information and we can iterate because we are a small company at that time, right? So we are very, very small. We are very nimble. Every one week, two weeks, we have one iteration. So that's why we change very quickly to respond to customer demand. So that's why the first one or two years, we only have hundreds of customers. We are very patient. We hear them and we listen to them. And we develop very interactive and gamified experience. Because in the traditional tutoring, is more about like the content. That was uh, to 2017, right? So, and uh, e-learning actually wasn't that popular, but actually, and from day one, we build this kind of capability. So that's why, and being as a customer, and also, and uh, you know, combine my technology background together with the education and the needs, I think that helped us to build a very different customer experience. I think that's a key point you made in the beginning of your statement there around taking your time. The first year you've had hundreds of customers, not not hundreds of thousands, and iterating and then learning the gamification part seemed to be one of the hooks in the learning experience. You know, you mentioned that you're in a hundred different markets, so it sounds like a lot of organic growth, but share with us a bit on the scale side. In terms of scale, I think basically we grow very fast. Of course, one of the reasons is the pandemic accelerates everything, but as a company, we are very boat and to drive the you know expansion so from the, the third year we already expand into and uh, other countries like australia like america but you know when pandemic hits the world actually we accelerated i would imagine uh, all the different countries going on lockdown there was a demand for web-based learning and to to try something different like gamification was your go-to-market plan to reach new customers, parents through online marketing or referral program? Or did you have like a sales team? Like what, what was driving the growth? Branding, online, direct marketing? How was that working? As we scale our business, there are many, many approaches actually, and we work on every single front, including paid marketing and you know any other approach as well. But actually, the most important approach for us, I think, and also the key success factor for us is really about referral systems. So as I mentioned, in the first two years, and we only serve like you know hundreds of customers. So that's why actually we iterate our services with them. So we get a very good and uh, reputation among the core customer. So that's why actually, and we realize referral is the most powerful tool 
for the you know education services. Actually, I believe it's, it's very powerful too for many many other services as well. But for education, it's very very and critical. And because in the parents they buy a service is you know about quality, right? So it's not about value for money. So they trust the you know advices from their friends. Actually, the, most of the friends have the same age kids. So that's kind of the the very critical. So that's why, and uh, at the beginning we have a very organic referral. But I will realize, and we can really and uh, double down into the referral. So that's why actually we build a very and uh, structured referral system, and start from very very organic referral. For example, like you know, one parent is happy with us, just share and uh, our brand, our you know experience on Facebook, on WeChat. That's very very organic. And also, we start to build some incentive and a layer on top of it. And actually, and very soon, actually, we add the third layer, which is like you know paid referrals. As an entrepreneur, I think it's, it's a very interesting experience. Is at the beginning, probably we have no idea and which channel and which approach works the best. But once we find and one approach in particular works very well, so we will double down into that area. So that's why last two years we built a very robust. Very structured referral system. So until today, actually, basically every month, sixty percent of the new customers and come from referral. So that helps the business and the scale and very very quickly, and even helps our our business scale into multiple countries. And in some of the countries, we don't have operation, we don't have team on the ground, but actually, and the, the word of mouth helps us and expand into those countries. That's also a testament to the the product and that it's that it's working. So maybe we should dig into that a little bit. I mean, you have an enormous amount of data of your students when they're going through the content, through the the test, the gamification. How are you approaching that in terms of onboarding new customers, helping the individual student get the right type of learning? You have sort of that Netflix level of of individual customer data from a perspective of of education. How how are you building your your data and analytics capabilities? That's a very very strategic capability for us. Actually, even today, I think we are still on the on the journey. So we don't really finish the journey yet. So we still build that that an analytic capability. So it's very interesting actually, and uh, we have leveraged this kind of analytic capability from two different dimensions. So one dimension is really about to provide personalized learning experience, because and from the pre-classroom, in-classroom, and after-classroom, actually we we can really have the individual and the learning and the record. Some of the questions and the the student answer correctly. Some of the questions the student has difficulty, right? So and also in-classroom actually and how quick and the student can get it. So all these kind of the data we can really have build a learning and and, and the record learning journey, so that we can really personalize the learning experience and provide provide a recommendation to our students. So that's very critical for a parent. We think about actually learning outcome and also the the joy of learning are very very important. We iterate our curriculum, but how do we make sure what is the right direction? So the data helps us. So that we can we can understand the customer profile, and are they enjoying the certain curriculum elements, and do they feel like too difficult or too easy? So that's why the, all these kind of data are collected to help our curriculum team, our R and D team, to improve our curriculum. Just like Netflix, they based on the customer feedback and also and in which minutes they actually they quit, how long they watch, or all, all this kind of data can help them to really and. 
and refine the, the 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 film. We have a very live curriculum comparing to some traditional and the tuition school. So, for example, they use the same textbook for many many years, but we are very very different. And on top of the, I guess, moving outside of textbooks, is is your curriculum a combination of online learning plus sort of one to one like video tutoring, or how, how does it work? Do you, does the data tell you when the student needs? A live tutor to tune up their skills. Currently, we are not there yet, but actually, it is our roadmap because we have multiple programs, right? So, and the the student needs can pick and choose. But actually, it's it's very difficult for students themselves to make the decision. So that's why, actually, based on, for example, like you know, placement tests and also the learning experience, we define a learning unit. Every unit we have an assessment. So based on the data and assessment, our learning advisor. So we have a role called learning advisor. Learning advisor can really provide recommendation. So and you kids can really and continue learning with this program, or maybe you kid can be you know upgraded to another programs so that we can really and fast track and all these kind of things. So basically, that helps and our parents and kids understand and where they are and also how they can really improve the efficiency of learning. Because and every kids are different, right? So you know, one says never fits all. So it means that actually they need a personalized and learning plan. So that's why our learning advisor and as an individual, together with the data, we provide high quality advices to parents. It seems like parents are liking it because of the sixty percent of new customers coming from referrals. What about what about the students? Can you share anything about? You know what students are saying. You know, apparently it's it's more fun, or the gamification is a little bit more unique, or they can learn at their own pace. What do you hear aside from your first customer, your son? Mandarin is a very difficult language again, right? So it's not easy to learn. The traditional teaching approach is a little bit boring, and but actually we adopt a lot of the gamification, animation. For example, for different age group, we have different teaching structure. For example, I can use a younger age group as an example. So basically. When they started, we use like you know one or two minutes and animation to draw their attention back to the classroom, right? And after one minute and uh, you know and two minutes and animation as a context setting, and they can really and start to learn and uh, with the teacher. So because we still believe teacher is very very important. It's not only about content. Teacher student connection are very important. After the teacher conduct content part, we have practice. That's the gamification came in. Because and repetition is still very very important for, to learn a new language. Right now, I think we have very very few one star or two star classroom. So I think more than ninety percent of class are the four or five star classroom. So that's kind of the teachers' effort and animation gamification and also the curriculum structure and work together as a system to make the young learners enjoy the learning. That's very interesting. You're collecting real time. Student feedback of the energy level of the actual class itself, which might take you know traditional education years and years to change a, a curriculum based on qualitative feedback from from students. You're you're getting facts in in terms of of data. I would imagine now that you have this platform, you figured out certain things around personalization with the 160 million in new funding. What are some of the high priority initiatives going to be with with the new funding? For the new funding, definitely we would like to enter in new markets. For example, currently we already have very strong presence in U.S., in Southeast Asia, and Europe as well. But basically, and we would like to expanding further, like you know, in U.S. in Europe to build our leading position. So geo expansion definitely is one. Another one is product expansion. 
So right now, actually, and we we use Mandarin as the first subject. We're very, very focused. Again, I think it's another another learning for me. It's really about last and four years. I only focus on one subject to make one thing and correct perfect. That's very important. But actually, a lot of the learning experience and technology platform can be replicated as well. So that's why actually we enter English teaching as second subject. Because we believe a lot of the technology, a lot of the methodology is reusable. So we launched English services and one month ago and in Southeast Asia. The third area, again, is really about, as I share with you, the data analytics and all these kind of things are still actually in the middle of the development process. So we are still in the enhance our capability on AI, data analytics, to make sure and we can provide more personalized and more flexible learning plan, and also can really iterate our curriculum and more quickly. So that's kind of the ambition we have. So basically, just you know, and geo expansion, product expansion, and also enhance our fundamental capability to support multiple subjects. Seems like the combination of the content, the teacher-student connection you're describing, and then the the quiz or the gamification is is the core of it. Then you're expanding into into new topics which is exciting to see and hear. I'm going to have to get my, my kids enrolled soon. Now, how big is the team right now? Uh, so currently we have 4,000 teachers and together with and nearly 2,000 full-time employees. So totally 6,000 globally. So we operate in Singapore, U.S., and China, Indonesia, Thailand. So that is a big challenge and for a young company, right? So we are just four years old. Actually, and most of the growth happened during last two years. So you think about it, within two years, we grow from like, you know, 100 people team to like 6,000, including full-time and part-time. So that's a very, very big growth. And also it creates a lot of the challenges to us. As everybody knows that even it's not pandemic and we hire 6,000, it's not easy job. But during pandemic, it's even tougher. So that's why actually, and we build a remote working culture so that, you know, we can share with each other, like, you know, share the same value and to collaborate using the same collaboration tool and to make sure and the things are on the same page and in a weekly base. So that's very tough. Actually, I think still a long way to go, but so far, at least the result shows that we are doing okay to make 6,000 people work from five countries to serve customers and in 100 countries. This notion, uh, this topic of corporate culture, team culture, company culture is, is a big one for corporate entrepreneurs on how do you engender that sort of startup mentality? And you've been operating uh, remotely over the last few years during a high amount of growth. How do you get your personal message out there? When it comes to, to team culture, are there any lessons learned or, or, or tactics you might share to some of the audience members who are going through Similar challenges right now, you know, there, there's, you know, certainly people are getting fatigued with video meetings and Zoom meetings and anything you do to, to connect that might be different. I think basically if we, if we look at the culture and the building, it's really about everlasting journey for entrepreneur, right? And from strategic level, definitely it's about we think about make a small success is the best culture building. So that's why actually, and uh, we set and uh, OKR every three months. Also, and we review the OKR and uh, you know and uh, weekly, so that this kind of small success we celebrate each other, 
that's very very important. We don't really under you know under define kind of the very very ambitious and uh, you know and the goal. Of course, as a company vision, we, we we are very ambitious. But in terms of quarterly targets, we make very realistic. So that's why actually the team can always and hit the targets. We celebrate. So and also and uh, we, we we believe each other. We trust the company. You can have you know and a cocktail and uh, you know and a Zoom call. All these kind of things you can do. But you know, s- small success celebration are the most important because everyone likes the success. And but at a tactical level, there are still many things we have done. For example, and we have very complex and cadence call. So we have the all hands call and uh, in different languages and every month. So to make sure and we can and connect every single one, no matter which function, which role, and they they work on. So we share very transparently with them about the company development and the challenges and the the mistake we make. And even actually myself, I share them. Hey, I made a mistake because you know three months ago I didn't have enough information, and so that's why I made a decision. And at that time it was right, but actually after three months we realized we need adjust a little bit. So that's why this kind of the transparency. Are very important. Even the myself makes a mistake, share with them. But still, I, I share some best practice. But the same way, we still have struggling as well. So actually, and it's still in terms of the culture, like you know, in Thailand, Indonesia, Singapore, they still have a slightly different idea and from each other. So that's why I really look forward and the finish of the pandemic, so that we can really start to travel and then we can enhance our culture on top of the cadence. We we execute right now, so we can do much much better after pandemic. Yeah, and I I like what you said about transparency. I mean, it, it seems to come sort of natural for you, but you you can imagine in in corporate setting, it's not always the the first type of culture that gets created. Uh, even for someone uh, in leadership to to talk about failure or where you've made mistakes, I think really um, uh, sets a good example that uh, making mistakes is okay. And also to celebrate the the small wins on on a quarterly basis. Well, I'm I'm very inspired by this. I'm going to have to uh, get get my kids signed up, and then we're going to see how they do on the quizzes and games. Thank you so much, Hugh, for joining, and look forward to hearing more about uh, Lingoasis' continued success. Now comes a segment where we invite experts from McKinsey to provide more context and to draw practical insights. And today I'm joined by Z Fakir, an associate partner and venture builder with McKinsey based in Singapore. Hey Z, welcome uh, to the show. Uh, appreciate you for uh, for joining us. Thanks so much for having me, Andrew. And, uh, you know, let's get into it. So Hugh talks about his go-to-market strategy and his referral program driving 60% of their new customers. What, what was also uh, interesting about that is the referral program, which is a common go-to-market technique, uh, is almost a proxy for product market fit. They, they tested the product with a few hundred customers in the first few years, and it drove enough value where it organically was just driving referrals. What's, what's been your experience with referral programs and, and any comments in general on, on product market fit? So it's a very interesting approach, Andrew. I think, firstly, most people try to look at referral codes as really a very basic approach of, to like marketing, right? Like it's, oh, it's so basic. Like, why do you want to use that? But actually, it's a really good litmus test of product market fit. The effectiveness of it is is unparalleled if you have 
everything else in place. That's true. And there's so many definitions of product market fit. You know, depending on the business, oh, yeah. <laughs> it's, it's hard to know. Is your product really mm-hmm. driving uh, traction sure. or did you just buy uh, customers at the top of the funnel? Um, exactly. And, and seeing customers organically or, you know, through incentives or cash incentives do referrals is, is a great way to measure the product market fit and stickiness. So Z, what's interesting also about Lingoace is they started in Singapore and then grew into new markets. Uh, usually, you know, in Singapore, the last 10, 12 years, we've seen lots of concepts come into the region. This is a Singapore-born concept. Tell us a little bit about your experience on moving from country to country or entering a new market. It's, it's sort of like starting from zero sometimes, isn't it? It is. You have to craft. And it's almost, I would almost go as far as saying there's a little bit of a pivot that most businesses have to do to localize into particular markets. Like if you go, if you had a business and you went into a market like Indonesia, you're, you can't take that Singapore product into Indonesia. It's not going to work no matter what it is, whether it's a, a vehicle, whether it's a, you know, an ed tech program, it's not going to fit. Right. And that's, that's the perfect example because geographically it makes sense. But in terms of, of adaptability and adoption, it, it doesn't, right? And it's particularly interesting to see something and a product like Lingo Aces that thrived in Singapore. Because Singapore sometimes looks as a very odd market, right? It's got a ceiling. It's got like, what, five, five million people in it, right? So there's not a lot of opportunity. But then the revenue per capita or per user is relatively high, right? And so there's this conjoined differences of like it's it's really like a little bit of a Bermuda triangle I can put it that way and so to see a business really take its initiative and start to really expand and do market expansion and go into different areas is really a testament to itself another uh, a great example of that is 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 razor right uh, grab even uh, of businesses that are locally homegrown in Singapore and, and could find that product market fit elsewhere and have a very strong go-to-market uh, a strategy and adopt that and how to play that. Because people think it's usually, and to your point, people just think it's, you know, I'm going to go to, well, Singapore, UK, they're very similar markets, or Australia, let's just, let's just adopt. And, you know, exactly. Country manager, launch managers, and and you know, put some bucks behind it, and you know, we'll get, we'll get it out there. Um, but it doesn't quite work that way, and we both know that, and we've seen that countless times, right? And that's actually been, I think, uh, if I can put a stake in the ground, that's actually been one of the failure points for a lot of startups, right? They have a bit of product market fit, and they they've raised a bit of cash, and now they're saying, well, you know what else can we do? How do we expand that? Let's go into another market. And, you know, they're around for six months to to a year to 18 months. And they end up burning so much cash because they just couldn't adapt and they couldn't create the solid go-to-market strategy. Yeah. Maybe one way Lingo Ace has been de-risking some of that is they they have built not just a network of of tutors and, and matching the tutors up with students, but they've created their own curriculum. And they've experimented with content and experimented with gamification, and and perhaps that is the IP that makes it a little bit easier to uh, to localize, to adapt to some of the local markets. And with uh, the new funding that they've just raised, they'll have the opportunity to grow. But some of the challenges when you're growing this fast, as as I think you've seen in, in your past too, is maintaining uh, team cohesiveness or, or culture. 
and Hugh was was open and saying, okay, maybe they haven't you know figured a hundred percent of that out yet because when you're growing at this pace, it's hard to you know hit your numbers, you know prepare for that boardroom meeting, and also to engender a culture of work lifestyle balance and inclusivity. And tell us a little bit about because we talk a lot about this this word culture on on the show, and anything from your experience you would share that you know, in small ways or big ways creates that, that cohesiveness. Yeah, there's, I mean, I can go on and on for this. And we've had, we've actually had quite a few conversations about culture in particular, and it's, it's easy, right? To do it from a startup where you're a 20 person team, it's easy to own that culture. But when your organization is in 10 different markets and it's 500 people, it's a little bit of a, of a tricky thing to navigate. Yeah. So, and I think a perfect example, at least in my experience, um, was Groupon, for instance, right? Groupon went from, I think, roughly we went from about 500 people to 4,000 people in the space of like 18 months. And that was that was ridiculous growth. And we went into different markets and we went all over the place. And you had everyone coming in from different backgrounds, you know, either from tech startups or very corporate organizations. And th- there's different ways of kind of of trying to cultivate that. Now, the ways that we, that I can tell that we failed at was, you know, sending out memos, talking to people about what the culture is that you want to instill, right? And and people, you don't create cultures from a memo, right? You don't create cultures from an email, people saying, well, or some posters around in the office. That's not going to create the culture. What's going to create the culture is leaders leading by example, right? This leaders, if you have a culture of being open, of creating transparency, the leaders need to live that. And they need to be even held accountable to that, right? When they're not being open, they're not being transparent, right? It's it's the duty almost of, you know, their second in commands of the people just slightly below them to kind of tap them on the shoulder and go, hey, you know what, that, that wasn't exactly holding to these values that we have or to these cultural aspects. And it's super important to be held accountable from each and every single level or layer. Um, you know, so when we start to see leaders in the organization reacting in a certain way or encapsulating the rest of the people in the organization and asking, you know, the most junior person who walked through the door two months ago and saying, hey, what do you think about this problem? Do you think that that is something, you know, as opposed to having this view of, well, I know better, right? And and I'm not saying that that is the approach, but I'm saying if you're working towards a culture of transparency, of equality, of, you know, there's a flat structure, then implement that, right? And and, and be okay to be held accountable, be okay to be called out when you're not doing that. Um, and this is something... So it's, it sounds like it starts from the top where leadership is open to getting uh, sort of that tap on the shoulder, like you mentioned, and, and being called out. I mean, definitely, there, there would need to be that that limit of, of accountability, right? I mean, I think I can speak for myself that I'm, you know, guilty of that sometimes too, of not following through on, on you know, values that I'd like to adhere to, right? And the people around me kind of saying, hey, you know what, that wasn't quite nice that you did this or X, Y, Z, right? And And it takes me to pause for a second, step back and be like, Great. What should I have done if I was holding true to that, right? And so this is where that culture comes from. And once everyone else in the organization starts, the, the people closest to you would feel that first. And once they start to feel that, they start to embody that in different ways too, right? And so the broader team feels that effect. And so when people say that, oh, you know, it's 
the staff and the junior levels or the most recently entered staff, they are not living the culture. It's because that ripple effect is taking too long to reach them, right? There's not much of a... Yeah, there's not enough role modeling, not enough role modeling of the values and the, and the principles. Yeah, it, Exactly. And this is probably the, the easiest way. And it actually has to be, it's not just something that's, you know, it's a soft skill for sure, but it's not something that's just spoke about and everyone's holding hands in Kumbaya. It's literally there are sessions about this there are strategies on how to integrate this there are strategies that integrates the communication strategies of internal how does communication flow in our organization right how do we encapsulate this how do we end up every meeting how do we when someone's late with something when we hold someone accountable if someone hasn't delivered on something they were meant to how do we manage those situations the culture is what gives life to every action and inaction in the organization yeah, I love that. I mean, like you said in the beginning, you can't just write a memo and send an email out and expect people to to follow the the values. Uh, but you can be strategic about it. You can be intentional about what the routines and rituals are, ec- expectations, the way you com- from the way you communicate to the way you kind of check in, check out with each other. That can uh, kind of lead to the that flash structure and the and the and the team culture. Yeah, it's it's one of those topics Z, that I think we'll just always have to talk about, and hopefully, you know, listeners will take little bits of it away here or there. But the big takeaway for me is that if leadership doesn't live the values in very specific ways, and if they're not open to be called out by anyone in the organization, not just their direct reports, then, like you said, the new joiners to that organization will just not live the culture because of the lack of ripple effect. Yeah. Definitely. I mean, we're all the, the problem is it's not it's not a fault of one particular person or someone who's doing badly. We're all guilty of doing that sometimes. So, yeah, it's like a series of checks and balances. It's it's not solely on the leadership's uh, shoulders and it's not solely on the rest of the organization's shoulders. It's but, but you got to be open to those those constant checks and balances. So, Z, thanks for joining. We could probably talk about this for a much longer time. Uh, but thanks for listening to the show and, and look forward to catching up again soon. Thanks for having me, Andrew. You have been listening to The Venture with me, Andrew Roth. If you like what you've heard, subscribe to our show on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen. Don't forget to leave a review and rating on your favorite episode. We will be back with a brand new episode next month.